It's Divas That Care Radio. Stories, strategies, and ideas to inspire positive change. Welcome to Divas That Care, a network of women committed to making our world a better place for everyone. This is a global movement for women, by women, engaged in a collaborative effort to create a better world for future generations. To find out more about the movement, visit divasthatcare.com after the show. Right now, though, stay tuned for another jolt of inspiration. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Divas That Care. My name is Candice Gish. Wow, I'm excited, everyone. We're going to be welcoming back such an amazing woman for our program, and I just can't wait to chat with her today. But if this is your very first time tuning in to the Divas That Care, a huge welcome. We've been on the air now for 12 years. We are listening to in over 30 countries, and it's because of all of our amazing listeners from around the world that we're able to do this. Please share this with all your friends and family because, as I said, it's what we want to do. We want to inspire and empower so many people out there. All right, as I said, I'm excited to be welcoming back Liberty Miller. She's going to be chatting with us today. So welcome back, Liberty. Thank you so much for having me again. Oh, my gosh. I am so excited. I loved having you on the last time. And I'm really excited about today's topic. Would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners? Absolutely. My name is Liberty Miller, and I, you know, I kind of have a a broad background, um, mainly photojournalism, foreign correspondent, but I now live in Alaska full-time, and I own a coffee shop. And you've been really, a lot of exciting things have been happening, because... You know, you had mentioned before we started that the cruise ships are starting to come in, so all these people are now able to check out uh, your amazing bookstore and your coffee shop, and it's just, that must be really exciting. It's very exciting. You know, we haven't had cruise ships for two years during the pandemic, and they started coming back earlier this month, and we're all thrilled to have them back. It's exciting to get to meet new people and, and, you know, make the money to survive her winters are very quiet up here <laughs> yeah but you know it, it is ex- yeah it is exhausting though yeah I'm, I'm pretty tired right now but that's okay that's okay well we really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us this evening of course I'm very happy to be here thank you well last time you and I had chatted we had talked a little bit about your background and the things that you had done and it was just I found it so inspiring. Um, and you had also mentioned that you were volunteering. And I, I, we're going to be talking about that today because it's a quite a bit, an interesting story on why you started volunteering. But you volunteer at a prison. Uh, would you mind, uh, Liberty, sharing a little bit about the background of why you started volunteering? Absolutely. So I have been a chronic volunteer my entire life. Volunteering is my passion. It's what fuels my soul and um, it was always volunteering for marine conservation and in 2000 I don't know it was 17 or 18 I started volunteering at Alaska's maximum security prison and it changed my life it was meant to be a one-time talk and it absolutely changed my life and it's the reason I decided to stay in Alaska and I was invited in to sue the guys about my brother's murder. My brother was murdered when I was 16 years old. And they wanted to hear the victim impact. They wanted to hear about, you know, what it was like to experience the murder of a loved one back then, mm-hmm. you know, when I was 16. And, and what it's like now, you know, how it affected my life then and now. 
And that's amazing because that's probably not something that a lot of people would be comfortable with doing. Yeah, it was it was interesting that first day. Before that, you know, my brother was murdered in 1997. And up until I started volunteering at the prison, I never really talked about my brother's death because murder makes people uncomfortable. And a lot of friends mm-hmm. in my life didn't even know that I had a brother. Because it's always that weird thing when you're getting to know someone new, you ask about siblings. And if I say I had a brother but he died, then people become curious and they ask how. And when I say he was murdered, it it just gets so awkward. People are very uncomfortable with murder. And so I learned to just not even mention it at all. And that did hurt a little bit, you know. But then when I started going into the prison the reason that first talk that I did at the prison was so profound for me is because I I really opened up about my brother's death, which was difficult. It it brought back a lot of feelings and emotions and pain. But the inmates, they didn't shy away from me. When people find out that my brother was Mm -hmm. murdered, they start to treat me differently. And the inmates didn't. They weren't afraid of me because of what I had been through. And that was so refreshing for me. I had never experienced that before. And I feel that's why it was so profound for me. I can, You know what? Just listening to you, I can understand that now because it's not, mm-hmm. it's a completely different perspective on things. Oh, yeah. I mean, and a lot of those guys are in for murder. And I know this sounds crazy, but... I feel like they're the only ones that really understand me because it's like we're living the same story almost, but just from drastically different sides. And you've been doing that. So that was a one-time thing, you thought, but it didn't end up being that way. No, no. It ended up being years long. I was going in, you know, three to five times a week for several years, and I taught writing classes for a couple winters and you know, joined some of the different groups that were happening in the prison, and it was such a huge part of my life. And like I said, it's why I decided to stop traveling and settle down in Seward. Is that a common thing? Because, you know, you and I are chatting, definitely come across different individuals that have volunteered at prisons, but it's not something that people talk about. It's not something that, you know, it's in a conversation. So do you find that there are a lot of individuals out there that are volunteering like you are? Not that I've met. I've never met a single other prison volunteer. But I haven't sought them out, you know. And I'm Mm -hmm. way up here in Alaska, kind of, you know, cut off from the rest of the world. So, of course, there's volunteers at prisons across the nation, but I haven't met any. But like I said, I haven't reached out to any of them. I haven't tried to, to learn about other prison volunteers and... And I should, but I also know that right now, you know, I haven't been into the prison since the pandemic started. So that's been very difficult for me. I mean, it's the reason I stayed here Mm -hmm. and now not having that, it has been really challenging for me. Is this something that you're planning on going back to do again? 
absolutely. As soon as they open up to visitors and volunteers again, absolutely. And I still am in regular contact with a lot of the staff at the prison. Mm -hmm. And so they keep me updated about, you know, when they think that things will open back up for me to go in. So as soon as they say the word, I'm there. I love that. Great. I'm, I'm so happy to hear that. You know, and it's quite an interesting story. You had actually wrote a book, too, in regards to this experience. Can you share a little bit about that for any of our listeners that didn't hear our first podcast? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my first book, The Heart of the Runaway, talks a bit about my brother's death, and that's what got me into the prison. Um, the superintendent of the prison here had read that book. And it's a small town, so he tracked me down and invited me in to speak to the guys. And then fast forward to 2000, gosh, I think it was just last year, um, I published a book that I co-wrote with a, a correctional officer, so a prison guard, at that prison and a man who is currently incarcerated there for murder. The three of us co-wrote a book about restorative justice. And it just came out last year. It's called Our Prison Story. Wow. Why did you decide to do that? I find that that book is quite fascinating. But I wanted to know why it was so important for you to write that. Such a unique situation. You know, you have a prison guard, a, a man who's incarcerated for murder, and then me, a prison volunteer whose brother was murdered, three people that society says should not be friends. And the three of us just from interacting within the prison realized that we all have the same very strong beliefs about restorative justice and forgiveness and prison reform. And so we decided to share it with the world. And as far as I know, there's not another book like this out there that's written by so. people from such different backgrounds. And it's so inspiring. Like I'll, I'll be honest with you, when you had first told me about this book, I thought this is such an inspiring book that I think so many people around the world need to read because of that. You know, people that are living it and they need mm -hmm. to talk about it because restorative justice is not, I, I don't know, like what do you think? Is it something that is really taking place in the prison systems right now? Not, not at all, not in my experience. It's really starting to take hold within schools, restorative justice and ACEs, which is adverse childhood experiences, that's mm -hmm. really starting to take hold within schools, which is important. But it's also important to do that within prisons. You know, we have these people locked up in captivity. Why are we not utilizing the time that they're spending yeah. incarcerated to help them heal and become better people and reintegrate into society in a lasting way. I agree. And there's so many benefits mm -hmm. to that, you know, not just because our prisons are becoming overpopulated, but you're right. Like this, there's nothing being done. So people are reoffending all the time because they don't know what else to do. And that when a person is in prison, there is a lot of time to be able to work towards, you know, self-improvement, basically, you know, you're, that's what you're wanting to accomplish. Absolutely. You know, and in the United States, the recidivism rate, which is the reoffending rate, is shockingly high. And it's because, you know, they these people are released from prison and just 
thrown into the free world with no real skills. You know, some of these people have been incarcerated for decades, and then they're just tossed out into the world, and the world is changing so quickly. You know, even for those of us who have not been incarcerated, I mean, how much do we struggle to keep up with technology? I mean, I struggle with it, you know, and when you have no idea what an iPhone is and then you're sent out into the world, like how are you supposed to have the skills to survive? So, of course, they're going to go back to what they know, which is crime and Mm reoffending and going back into prison where they're taken care of. Yeah, and where they probably feel safe. Exactly, and they have family. You know, these these people who are incarcerated together for decades, they create a bond, family, and then they're released, and they don't have those people in their lives anymore. They don't have that support system, so they're either alone on their own or they're released back into a community to their their actual family, their blood family, that a lot of times they're bad influences. Yeah. So it's like we're setting them up for failure and we're not helping them at all, guiding them or providing them with skills. And then we well, wonder why they reoffend. Exactly. We wonder why, right? And that's mm-hmm. why I really was so inspired by your book because I thought this might be the way to get those conversations going. You know, right. have people read this so that they, oh, I never thought of it like that. And maybe... Right. You know, if all the prisons around the world did this, right? It's like, okay, let's let's mm-hmm. have this conversation. This is what's happening, and the book will give them an idea. Because sometimes you don't want to. You, you go into a situation, and you almost have blinders on. And we have to oh. take those blinders off and see the world for what it really is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I agree. And, you know, before I walked into a prison for the first time, the only thing that I knew about prison was from TV and movies. And it's, <laughs> in, my, in my experience, it's not like that at yep. all. I mean, yes, people make mistakes. Yes, there are bad people. Yes, there are people that cannot be helped or fixed or whatever you want to call it who are incarcerated because they made a terrible mistake. And I think about all the mistakes that I've made in my life. And yes, I've never murdered someone, but I've made mistakes. Mm-hmm. And to think that, you know, if someone locked me up and never gave me a second chance for the mistakes that I've made, that's tragic. And yeah. I absolutely believe that people deserve a second chance. I agree. I I, I think that completely. You know, depending on, like, situations and stuff like that, you know, everybody deserves mm-hmm. some, you know, a break. They deserve a second chance. Um, yeah. And speaking of which, Liberty, I know that you and I had chatted before the program. You had actually gone and met the individual that had murdered your brother. And I was wondering if you wanted to chat a little bit about that today. would love to because it's a very powerful story for me, a very powerful part of my life. Um, I had been volunteering at the prison here in Alaska for a couple of years and talking to them about my brother's death and sharing that experience with them. And one of them, actually the man that I co-wrote the book with, he said to me one day, why don't you go meet him 
and find out he's as scary as you think he is. Meaning, why don't you go into the prison and meet the guy that killed your brother? And I didn't even realize that that was a thing that I could do. Because in the United States, you... So the victim and the offender are legally not allowed to have any contact, even if they both want to have contact. So that was the whole purpose of me speaking to the prison the first time was these men, even though they didn't commit the crime that affected me, they wanted to see how crime affected the family, the community. They wanted to see the ripple effect of crimes that they had committed. Yeah. Um, and so I, after this man said, why don't you go meet him? I really started thinking about it and doing some research. And there is something called a victim offender dialogue. And it's a mediated face-to-face conversation between the victim and the offender. It's exactly what it sounds like. And it took me several years to to think about going and meeting this guy because I, I was 16 when he killed my brother and we had all grown up together. So I already knew him from my childhood, but obviously we had not had contact since he killed my brother almost 25 years ago. And mm-hmm. to me, he was this, big scary monster that was kind of always with me you know I have really bad nightmares about him and about my brother's death and he he was just always kind of with me in the back of my mind you know and there was this clock ticking for when he gets out of prison in a couple of years and it terrified me the thought of him being released and so it took me about three years to to think about if I actually wanted to go see this guy. And the way life played out, I just happened to have to spend a winter in Oregon because my mom was sick. And so I was in Oregon in my hometown for six months, and I felt ready to see this guy. And I I didn't know how to go about it, though, and so I just Googled the prison in Oregon and called the phone number, and they were fantastic. Oh, wow. they, yeah, they connected me to victim services, and there was such a long process. Um, I talked to the woman at victim services, and the first step was for her to reach out to Cameron, the guy that killed my brother, and he was the one that said yes or no. You know, yes, I'll see her. No, I won't see her. And if he said no, that was it. Case closed. That was the end of the story. But he ended up saying yes. And so then we moved into this series of phone conversations, both he and I, not not talking to each other, but talking to the victim services woman. Um, And she was trying to get a feel for the intent of why we wanted to see each other because they didn't want either of us to get more emotionally hurt. And so it was probably three months of having conversations with her, and she actually went into the prison and met with Cameron and talked to him face-to-face. And then before I knew it, 
I was driving to the other side of Oregon and walking into the prison and meeting him. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So how was that experience for you? You know, it was so surreal. It's something that I don't fully remember all of the details, but it's also something that I'll never forget. I remember feeling fine, you know, walking into the prison, going through the metal detector, you know, handing over my driver's license, getting my visitor badge. I was totally fine. At this point, I was so comfortable being in prison that I just didn't really feel anything. And they had us set up in a conference room, and he was not in that room yet. He was sitting down the hall around the corner waiting for me to get checked in through security and to get settled in this conference room. And I remember as we're walking into the room, the the prison guard, she said, I think you'll be really happy with this room. It's a really big room. There will be a lot of space between you guys, you know. And I oh. walked into this room. It felt like like the tiniest room I had ever been in. <laughs> it felt so small. It just all kind of hit me at once. Yeah. And I've never struggled with anxiety or panic attacks, but I, I think I almost had a panic attack that day. I mean, I was crying before I even realized what was happening. I was shaking. I was freezing cold, but I was pouring sweat. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Volunteer from Victim Services, she said to me, you know what, you can walk out right now. You do not have to do this. You don't have to see him. You can just walk away. And I had this strangest thought that if I was this scared, how scared was he? He was sitting around the corner waiting, knowing that I was there. And he was probably terrified. In my opinion, it's even more brave of him to see me than it was for me to see him because he's the one that made the mistake. He's the Mm -hmm. one that took my brother away. I did nothing wrong. I was a 16-year-old girl. And so he was the one that was in the wrong, but yet he was still willing to see me. And to me, that's bravery right there. So he came into the room then, and you were able to speak with him for a little while? Yeah, we had two hours together. Um, Oh, my goodness, that long. Yeah, which it was... Two hours was a very good amount of time. It wasn't too long. It was just long enough. Um, I had two stipulations for seeing him. I did not want to shake his hand. I didn't want to have any physical contact with him. And I didn't want to talk about the crime because I know enough about the day my brother died and I wasn't there to ask Cameron why. I mean, the why of it doesn't matter anymore, and he probably doesn't have a good reason anyway. They were 21-year-old kids. And so he walked into the room, and so awkward. (laughs) It was very awkward. Um, He sat down across the table from me, and 
I mean, what do you say? You know, hey, how's it going? How's prison life? <laughs> you know, it was so awkward. Neither of us knew what to say. And so we just kind of sat there looking at each other, but then looking down at the table. And finally, the woman from victim services, she was in the room with us and she kind of helped, you know, prod us along and started asking us each questions and just got the conversation flowing. And we ended up having the most amazing talk. And I will tell you this, we laughed a lot. Because like I said, we grew up together and we have all of these memories. I mean, our childhoods were so entwined. We lived in such a small town. And so we talked about, you know, floating down the creek in the river and sledding on the, you know, down the hill behind the elementary school in the winter when it was snowing and just all the things from high school. And we laughed a lot. We share a lot of memories. And that was really healing, I think, for both of us. And then at the end of the two hours, um, I it was really important to me, even though I didn't want to talk about the crime, it was important to me to tell him to his face that I forgive him. And so I did that, and it was not articulate at all. I fumbled over my words, and but I did apologize to him and tell him that I've never hated him for what happened. And And he also apologized. It, it was a really beautiful few minutes of apologies and very heartfelt. Oh, Liberty, I am so glad you were able to do that. That must have been such a huge weight lifted off your shoulders. You know, it really was. And for both of us, I think he and I are still in contact. We write letters. And I finally, after all of these years since my brother's death, meeting Cameron and volunteering at the prison, like those two things combined have been more healing for me than any of the doctors or therapists that my mom sent me to right after it happened. It has been so beautiful and I can't even express how powerful forgiveness is. You know what? I want to thank you even for sharing that with us. You know, I know that is a very difficult topic. And Liberty, I am—I really want you to know that I want to be able to support you, the Divas of Care that wants to support you in any way that we can to get the word out there. You know, whatever we can do to support you, we would love to do that. Um, I want to, if you're interested, I would love to have you back on the program again because these are such amazing topics that I think people really need to hear about. And I hope that there's more places that you will able to share this and be able to speak with, you know, more prisons around the world that, that, or even victims that could really use that. You know, I really think mm-hmm. that you would be an amazing support network to just to share this story of what you've gone through. Thank you so much for saying that. It It means so much to me. And I want to get this story out there, even though it's so difficult, I feel it's so important because I want to help you know, some other 16-year-old girl whose brother was murdered or yeah. and doesn't know how to deal with it or anybody. I mean, murder is something that we don't talk about and we need to. We absolutely need to talk about it and forgiveness as well. I mean, 
you know, people talk about forgiveness on smaller scales, but on such a large scale, you know, forgiving someone who committed murder, something that we need to talk about because it will change the world and it will, it will heal the world. And we all need to be healed from some trauma. Liberty, I can't even say how amazing you are. Like, I'm just blown away by this conversation today. Oh, my gosh. I just Thank you. I want to thank you so much because this is a real conversation and you're sharing something that is so, so important. And we will definitely have you back on. I, I know there's a few more topics that we can definitely talk about in the future because I think that, you're right. The world needs some healing, and let's just start the conversation. And you've been definitely doing that. So I really want to thank you for being my amazing guest on today's program. Thank you so much for having me and allowing me to tell my story to your listeners. I'm very grateful. Oh, oh my pleasure. And as I said, anytime you want to come back on our program, just to share any of this, we would love to have you. Even talking about Alaska, we'd love to have you on that. But I I was thinking (laughs) that there's probably some more topics we can talk about liberty in the future. So thank you again. Oh, of course. Thank you. Thank you so much. And to all of our listeners, you know what? I know that you're probably feeling what I'm feeling right now. Um, We need to definitely take this program and share with all of our friends and family. I know a lot of us have been affected by different traumas in our lives. And I think listening to Liberty Day will really, you know, maybe help you through that. Um, also, I really want to suggest you guys go picking up her books, too. I'm going to be posting the links on our social media so that you can go check it out. Uh, Liberty is absolutely amazing, guys. Um, she's just, I just love you. Liberty, I'll be honest with you. I just think you're the most amazing woman I have ever met. So I um, Thank you I so much. Shout out to you and everything that you're doing out there. And to all of our listeners, please go check her out. And please, please do something kind. You know, the world is going through a lot of, trauma in the last few years and you know we just need a lot more kindness out there and respect and understanding so thank you again liberty thank you to all of our amazing listeners out there you know make sure you check out all the other divas and the hosts on the divas that care network i hope you have a great day and until next time everyone thanks for listening this show was brought to you by divas that care connect with us on facebook on instagram And of course, on divasthatcare.com, where you can subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss a thing.